This is Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Raimundo Correa, who is a gynecologic oncologist in the Hospital de Talca in Talca, Chile. He's also the leader of the Palliative Care Working Group for the International Gynecologic Cancer Society. Thank you so much for being here, uh, Raimundo. Um, you know, the, the, the topic that we're going to be uh, discussing, I think, certainly is a topic that is uh, of uh, significant uh, importance to our field um, and one that uh, many may not be as familiar with. Um, we're going to be talking about the impact of palliative care in the management of patients with um, gynecological cancer. So, Raimundo, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what is palliative care? And uh, what is the current status of palliative care within the field of gynecologic oncology? Hi, Pedro. First of all, thank you very much for inviting me today to speak about palliative care. I think this is great because palliative care generally is conceived as the final stage of the disease, uh, similarly to end-of-life care. And today, I have good news in terms of palliative care is much more than end-of-life care. Palliative care means uh, to conceive the care of a cancer patient as a con continuum of care. So that means that today we are not leaving palliative care as the final stage of a disease we are integrating the, the concept of palliative care as part of the care of any patient with cancer, regardless the stage of the disease. Although there is much more evidence to support the role of palliative care in patients with incurable condition compared to patients with curative disease. And Raimundo, can you um, tell us and perhaps explain to the readership of, uh, of the journal, um, what is really the difference between palliative care and hospice care? Well, uh, first of all, Pedro, let me uh, speak a little bit more about the concept of palliative care, which is the integration of palliative care as part of the a treatment of any patient with cancer and the downside of palliative care is uh, the name. Today we should call <clears throat> supportive care or supportive oncology uh, and then palliative care will be end-of-life care and hospice care is part of uh, this this supportive oncology and is meaning the care for people who will die of the disease. So basically, hospice care is part of palliative care. And it, you know, it seems that as we evolve in this field, uh, this is not a, a single individual caring for the patient in these aspects. It, it it sounds like it's more of a team effort. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. When we speak about supportive oncology or palliative care, we mean that we are not looking after a, a cervical cancer or an ovarian cancer. We are looking after 
a person, a human being. So that means that we need to look after all dimensions of the per of the patient. That means that the care that uh, a physician can provide is not good enough. We need to incorporate all professionals as the WHO definition states uh, in order to look after the physical, the emotional, the psychological and all dimensions of the patient. So this is truly a multidisciplinary team. This is a team, first of all, a multidisciplinary composed by professionals from different areas, nurses, OTs, PTs, uh, psychologists, and I sometimes I forget about uh, about some professionals. What I want to reinforce is the concept of a multidisciplinary team. Volunteers have a tremendous role, and the other thing is nobody's missing. Everybody's welcome. And, and to follow up uh, along with that, um, you mentioned that the uh, focus on the patient. Um, tell us a little bit about what efforts are made uh, from the supportive uh, team uh, to integrate family members. Well, Pedro, for me, you are not looking after a single patient. In this setting where there is an incurable condition, uh, family members or caregivers, is they are as important as the patient. So you need to realize that the patient is not alone and you need to incorporate caregivers and family members as part of the discussion. And when, when considering who is the ideal candidate for supportive care or palliative care, um, what, what are some of the inclusion criteria that we should look at? When, when should we refer a patient? What type of patient should we refer to this type of team? That's a great question, and thank you very much for rising up this topic. Um, nobody's in ex sorry, sorry, nobody is excluded. So everybody is welcome to be part of supportive care. So, and this is a great challenge from 10, 20 years before, uh, if the patient wants to have a supportive, of care, a supportive care, as a physician, we need to accept that. We, and the other concept, Pedro, is that we are not referring patient to the palliative care service or to the supportive oncology department. We are integrating the supportive oncology team as part of the team of this specific patient. So I, I've been very involved in the field and now I am trying to develop such as an algorithm uh, for patients. It is a bit difficult. There are several indications uh, at the end, I will end with something specific for each primary, especially for the three most frequent, which are cervical, endometrial, and ovarian cancer. But as a general rule, uh, I should say that whenever a patient requests 
for palliative care, we should integrate supportive oncology palliative care to the care of this patient. Whenever there is no more specific treatment to the patient, whenever the patient doesn't want refuse more treatment, and also whenever the patient refers a lot of symptoms because of treatment or because of the advance of the disease, those are general indications that we need to consider uh, to integrate palliative care as part of the care of the patient. And Ramuno, can you um, tell us a little bit about um, when is the right time to address this for the first time with, with a patient? Um, you know, certainly, is it when the patient is initially diagnosed? Uh, is it when the patient has the first recurrence? Is it when we consider that the patient has exhausted all treatments? When do we when do we talk to the patient about supportive care for the first time? Again, thank you very much for inviting me and for asking me all these questions because those are very frequent discussions. But most of the patients are referred later during the trajectory of the disease. Um, I need to differentiate two situations curable and incurable condition. For patients who will face a curative treatment, there is no enough evidence to support the integration of palliative care unless the patient requests. For patients with incurable condition, we should refer palliative care since the diagnosis of the incurable condition. And when you ask about the diagnosis, which that does it mean? Uh, they stayed within the first eight weeks after the diagnosis of incurability. Uh, again, this is quite theoretical. In practice, most of the patients are referred quite late during the course of the disease. And when I say late, I mean something between two or three months or even less before they die. And if you think, it's very, uh, it's not fair for the patient, but also for the healthcare team to meet a person with su such a, short life expectancy, the work that you can provide is not good enough. First of all, you need to build a relationship. First of all, the patient, second, the patient and the family need to trust on you and you have such a short time that at least sometimes, probably most of the times, you you are unable to give the the best standard of care. And Raimundo, um, what advice would you have for the physician, the surgeon, the healthcare team, when it's sort of like the other end of the spectrum, when, when the healthcare team feels that the patient needs supportive care, palliative care, but both the patient and the family are refusing it? Well, I think 
here there are two things. You put one example, but the other example is when the patient and or the corresponding family requests palliative care and the physician refuses. So this is the same thing <laughs> from different point of view. Uh, basically, most of the patients are referred late during the course of the disease, sometimes because of physicians' fearness uh, to refer the patient, because at sometimes uh, the physician might think that if he or she refers the patient to palliative care, the patient will think that this is because of the physician. So it was the physician's mistake that the disease is advancing and this is not true. You and I know that this is not true. So basically, one of the, uh, I, I told you and I explained that, first of all, one of the main advantages of palliative care is look after the patient, the human being. Uh, palliative care doesn't mean only pain control. It is much more than that. We take over any symptom that appears, but also we look after advanced care planning, communication, and end of life. And when the patient and or the family doesn't want to go to palliative care, I think it is very important to let them know, first, to have a good communication, to let them know that palliative care doesn't mean that they will not have further treatment. And second, that palliative care will have more people to look after the patient without any harm. So at some point, in my experience, patients and of their corresponding families don't want palliative care because they think that that's it. And as a physician, we need to reinforce the idea that palliative care means a parallel care and will not take over the care and the patient still has many other treatment options. So, Raimundo, um, one last question uh, with regards to the impact or the implementation of palliative care or supportive care in low-resource countries or low-resource settings. Uh, what is your advice uh, in, in that particular environment where perhaps the, they don't have all, all of the resources that are available in uh, most centers in, in the developed world? I, I think this is a, a great question and a difficult one. I don't think we have the right answer yet, but need, we need to work, um, first of all, to expand the concept and the meaning of palliative care that we have been discussing during this uh, 15, 20 minutes together. Uh, second, the, America, the American Society of Clinical Oncology this year they released a clinical guideline basically um, about relating about the resource limited setting. So you have the general principles, 
but then you need to adapt those principles to the reality. And I think we uh, opioid consumption, which is one of the keys in order to manage uh, pain accordingly, we need to try to give more opportunities to this low resource setting. And, but also we need to prepare and we need to train people in this area. And IGCS is working on that. We just finished a survey and among all respondents, which are quite representative from low middle, low income, high, uh, middle resources and high income countries, uh, only 30% of the respondents stated that they had some kind of formal treatment. And very interesting is that 70% of them said that they would like to have some certificate in the area. So as, a, as the working group of, of uh, palliative care for IGCS, we are developing a curriculum. We have already a skeleton. We have 10 modules and we are writing each module and we hope we will have this ready during the next six months or so. All right. Well, Raimundo, thank you very much. This has been very, very informative, and I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for all the questions, and again, thank you, Pedro, for inviting me today.